Hello, welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. I'm chiming in here for a short announcement before we continue with the final episode of season two for the podcast show. As you may know, the podcast show is a passion project where it is entirely self-funded and I've put in a lot of time and effort to curate excellent speakers who are at the top of their game and to be able to provide you with some insight and inspiration in your professional and organizational development. I am excited and thrilled, extremely speechless in making this announcement. So here it goes. The Leaders of Learning podcast has surpassed 170,000 unique downloads in 106 countries around the world. And this is just a little bit over one year since its launch. Even in saying that, I'm completely speechless. And I'm ever so grateful and humbled by you, my dear listeners. The podcast wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for your support. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening in, downloading, rating, reviewing, reaching out to me about the podcast show. It means so much to me that it has given you inspiration, insight, and hopefully motivation to take action in your professional and organizational development. Please continue to reach out to me either by feedback or review or just drop me an email about the podcast show on how I can make this show better for you. So you can get in touch with me by email, which is ling at culturespark.co. That is L-I-N-G at C-U-L-T-U-R-E-S-P-A-R-K dot C-O. Thank you again, dear listeners. Now let's get on with the final episode of season two for the Leaders of Learning podcast. On with the show. But, you know, I've met people who are just like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, then don't. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. No one should be forced to do anything that they're not willing to do. Let's just put love out in the world. Let's put kindness out in the world. Why, why not? Hello, you're listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast, the podcast that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Ling Ling. I'm also the founder and director of Spark Learning Solutions. We help to build thriving organizational cultures and create effective intercultural collaboration through education, coaching, and consulting. There is a cost to speaking up. History has shown time and again that speaking up can be life-threatening. Iconic heroes such as Gandhi, Mandela, Frida Kahlo, Malala, and many others shouted and fought for equality, freedom, justice, truth, and suffered for their cause. Speaking up requires courage, conviction, and emotional strength to give a voice to causes that matter. We keep silent because the dominant culture may punish in order to remain in power. Punishment can mean a loss of job, ostracism, humiliation, imprisonment, torture, and possibly death. We may or may not face such extreme situations in our daily lives. But if used well, a small voice can bring about big changes in the world. How can we use our voice to speak up about issues that matter to us? 
What are the consequences of staying silent? Discussing this topic today is Andrea Edwards. Andrea is a globally award-winning B2B communications professional, a content marketing strategy pioneer, blogger, writer, trainer, and coach for businesses and professionals around the world. She is also known as the Digital Conversationalist. Andrea, welcome to the show. Hello, Ling Ling. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for making the time with us. As I was reading out your uh, biography, it seems like you're doing so much. Can you tell us about what is it that you do? Well, my whole sort of career, well, first of all, I started off as a musician in the Australian Army a long time ago. And then it's when I sort of first heard about and became aware of the world of public relations. And then that became my path first in the Defence Forces and then on the aerospace industry. And then I got on a plane, landed in London and ended up in the technology industry doing public relations. And I've always loved it and I've continued to travel, lived in Boston, New York, headed back to Australia. And that was when I started moving into what was called marketing services, but really was the early sort of foundation of what today is content marketing. And the talent, the core ability that I have, I suppose, that I, I love professionally is the ability to communicate and get your message across effectively. So, you know, I've been one of the drivers in Asia Pacific for content marketing, but at the same time, um, blogging myself, so professionally and as well as personally, just sharing my ideas, sharing my views, you know, all with the intention of hopefully I'm entertaining people or making people think or I'm helping people improve their lives in some way, be better parents, because I talk about that in, in some of my content. So it's a big mishmash, but the reality is it all comes from from this place of I love to share knowledge, not just my own, other people's. I love to give people other perspectives on things because, you know, I think people are a bit siloed in their opinions and if we can look at any opinion from multiple perspectives, I think we can really move the world forward in a positive way. So, It also sounds like you've been in, in content marketing for a very long time with a wide range of interests that you have. But what piques my interest the most is your title, digital conversationalist. You call yourself a digital conversationalist. So how did you become one and what does it mean? So I, I launched a business in 2006 where I was helping companies tell their story. So it wasn't technically content marketing. It was more, you know, how, how a business positions themselves. And then towards the end of the last decade, it evolved into content marketing. And as I was working, first of all, trying to get companies to pay attention to that, and I had a failed business at that point because I was too early. Companies weren't even ready to sort of think about what I was proposing. And I didn't succeed in finding that champion for my idea, which would have helped us get moving a lot faster in the region, but that's okay. Then I went to Microsoft and I didn't want to take the job at Microsoft, but I realised I needed to go inside a large global organisation and really understand why they weren't seeing what I was seeing and also to get the confidence in my ideas, right? Because mm -hmm. confidence in your own ideas is... Um, can be a big limitation. So I took the job at Microsoft, I had a look around the world, all the partners, and I realised that everyone was still thinking in this sort of old paradigm of people still thinking in quarters. It was still about very much about releasing information. It was all about sales. There was no value to the customer. So, And then I went to a content marketing agency and I was seeing all this incredibly beautiful content being created, but it had turned up at the mm -hmm. clients and nothing would ever 
that happened to it, it would basically disappear or get five likes or five views. And the fundamental thing that was being missed is, first of all, you need to bring your employees on board to help them become champions for the content the business creates, as well as champions in their own right. So get them creating content, get them participating. But the other thing is Mm -hmm. that real ability to drive conversations. Like when companies talk to me, they'll, they'll look at a a community page that has this incredible conversation, right? But mm-hmm. but they can't get that same conversation happening around their brand and it's just a different mindset. So it's about creating digital assets where people want to come and they want to be part of the conversation and that's not necessarily going to happen for brands, but it can happen through mm-hmm. the people that work on organisations. There, there are two things you mentioned in your answer I'm quite curious about. So the first one was you mentioned that when you worked for Microsoft, the company's they were disengaged with the content that was uh, proposed to them and they didn't really use it to create uh, brand awareness in the market or or some sort. Can you please share why there's this disconnect? Yeah, so when I first joined Microsoft, um, they hadn't launched their Microsoft Stories Lab. So they Mm -hmm. hadn't moved their content. They hadn't made the pivot towards content marketing yet. And about six months afterwards, they launched the Microsoft Stories Lab. It was called Microsoft Stories back then. And not longer after that was when Satya Nadella was appointed and they they launched this beautiful sort of uh, website, which was all around Satya. So the company sort of about six months in, had made the change and I think they're one of the great examples of effective content marketing but in the period before that when I was running my own business companies weren't they weren't comprehending why would you create content like that why would you create content that's not about selling a product the Mm -hmm. focus on the call to action was more important than the quality of the information being shared and so you know I've I've talked Mm -hmm. to other companies where I'll have marketing people in the room and I'll have sales people in the room and the marketing people will tell me what their ambition is and the topics and the content that they want to put out there in the world and it's usually very aspirational it's very future driven it's driving the customers towards these ideal futures so in the technology industry they'll be talking about blockchain or artificial intelligence or cognitive computing or those sort of topics right and then I'll ask the salespeople, Mm -hmm. what's your customer concerned about today and they'll say well the customer is still trying to work out how to get onto the cloud right so it's about creating a balance between pushing customers to aspire for the opportunities of the future but helping the customer where they are today overcome the challenges that they're facing right now. So it's a it's a combination of getting the information right, but it's moving from the mindset of constantly pushing out and selling to sharing information that's going to help the customer be more successful, achieve more. It's going to drive them to want to work with your business because you're, you understand the problem that they're facing and you can help them solve that. And the other question that I wanted to ask is also that when I look in the social media space, I do see lots of companies just broadcasting stuff as well, their products, their ideologies, the vision of their future and whatnot. And they haven't yet shifted to what you say in digital conversations, right? Where you get people engaged, get people being involved in that conversation and having them to also discuss it and share it with their their friends. What is stopping these companies from doing that? Oh, I think there's so many reasons, but they're just not getting it. And the, one of the biggest problems for businesses, and that's why I run social leadership training for big MNCs, because my focus is to get the employees, especially the senior leaders, educated and understanding what this means. So 60% of Fortune 500 CEOs have no presence on social media, none. 
Wow. 60%. Wow, that's such a shame, isn't it? Because what Satya Nadella has done and Steve Jobs has done and harnessed the power of social media just to bring up the brand of their company. And if CEOs are not doing that, it's it's a missed opportunity. How can they possibly understand the customer today if they're not engaged where the customer is engaging? One of my rules with working with an MNC is that nobody's allowed to outsource their personal brand. They have to do it themselves, right? If they want to be a social Mm -hmm. leader, they need to be a true social leader. If they outsource it, they're still not engaged, even if they have a presence are not engaged. You can't understand the future customer and the current customer if you don't understand where they are, you don't understand what they're doing, how they're interacting, what they care about, what they're talking about. So the brands need to really sort of step up and all those ones that are still pushing out the broadcast message, they're just not understanding it. How can you possibly understand the customer if you're not there? How can you understand the platform if you're not participating in it? When you have CEOs and leaders busy with their business, they would have to carve out the time to do social media engagement to create online conversations. Wouldn't that take them away from what the business needs them to do? Right. So that's a question, time that it takes comes up all the time. And one of my answers is always, okay, so how many times do you have the same conversation with different customers? Every single time the C-level execs say, yeah, I'm having the same conversation over and over and over again. So you hear a question once, you hear it twice, you hear it three times from different customers. That's a topic that should be answered in your your social profile. So by answering Mm -hmm. it, you don't have to keep having the same conversation. You can take your customer forward to the next stage of the conversation. So it actually, if you do it well, and if you do it from the perspective of answering customer need, whoever your customer is to you, because it can be an internal customer or an external customer, because not everybody's in a mm-hmm. sales role or business development role, right? But it's, it's right. an opportunity to actually save you time. And, you know, the whole time thing, I mean, there's, I find a lot of people are still doing things today that are actually already redundant, but because the business knows how to do it, it knows how to measure it, they continue to do it because they don't know how to adapt the business to get ready for the future. So a lot of the feedback that I get is salespeople, marketing people, HR people, that that I get active as social leaders. If their boss isn't bought into the idea of it, they don't value Mm. giving their employees the time to go out there and embrace it. So getting the top people bought into it is really important. But everybody has a voice today. Everybody has a presence today. And maximising on your entire employer, whether you've got 10 employees, one employee, or 200,000 employees, getting them out there on social, acting with authenticity, with integrity, with honour, is a very, Mm -hmm. very powerful tool for business today. So it's just about reprioritising and stopping doing something that doesn't serve your business anymore. So it's, it's a big change. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a big change. I know we've talked about in lengths of uh, senior leaders, uh, CEOs, t- uh, being more engaged online in social media and speaking up. But as the topic suggests that it's important for everyone to speak up. So apart from promoting your brand and your company, why is it important to speak up? I think it's important for all of us as individuals, if we have ambition, to define what we want to be known for and then to go out and own that voice so that we create the future that we want for themselves. So I always say if I'm standing next to somebody who's got no following on LinkedIn, Twitter or anywhere else that they're present and they're standing next to me and I've got 50,000 followers who, you know, and a large audience that respects what I have to say, the company's going to offer me the job over the person with no voice. So you've got to take care of yourself and you take care of yourself mm-hmm. by by standing for something and by going out there and by owning that message. And it doesn't have to be a professional message. 
I've worked with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. One of the ladies I work with, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with IBM over the last couple of years and it's been really amazing to be part of that. And one of the ladies in IBM in Malaysia is one of their Malaysia's top foodie bloggers. And what benefit would IBM get from having a foodie blogger on their books? And the reality is she makes IBM cool. People want to work for the company. People really like the fact that she works for a company that gives her the space to go and be this whole person at work. If you want to build a career, if you want to have a successful future, having a presence, and it doesn't have to be a massive presence. You don't have to be one of the top influencers with 200,000 followers. It's not about that. It's about being known for something, having credibility for something. And it's about being seen as a person of integrity. It's about being seen as somebody who delivers value to the audience that they want to reach. And that is what we should all be thinking about being in the business of today, you know, defining who we are and going out there and owning that voice. There seem to be many more reasons why we shouldn't speak up because one, we have to be aware of the kind of person we are, be help define our own identity, because some people just go through life without thinking about what is important for them. And there are all these challenges out there that if the example that you gave about climate change, if you speak up about it, you talk about how our lifestyle is destroying the earth and you have a lot of skeptics and, and haters and critics that come and criticize you and give you hate messages, that is a huge challenge. So other than the few examples that I've given, what usually stops people from speaking up? Being willing to put yourself on the line is not everyone's capable of it. But I've worked with thousands Mm. of professionals as well as friends in my community, anyone who wants my help, I always offer it. And people, um, I reckon 10% of the population aren't interested in doing anything. They just want to go to work, they want to go home, they want to be with their family, they want to hang out and go to the movies on the weekend. But I'd say, you know, I recognise people like that. that. And that's fine. And, you know, I think some people are born to have a rest in this life if you believe in past lives. And I think that's cool. Let's leave them alone as long as they're not Mm -hmm. doing any harm, right? I reckon there's probably about 20% that just really want to get into it. They want to to champion a cause. They're passionate. Having a, a really powerful why as your driver for what you're doing is really important because if you haven't got a powerful why, if you're just doing it to showcase Mm -hmm. yourself, it comes across as you start showcasing yourself. But when I look at all of the different reasons that stop people, and there's loads of them, the number one thing is people's lack of self-confidence. They don't believe that they've got anything worth saying. They don't believe that anyone wants to hear them. Self-worth, you know, is, is a big issue. A lot of people have a massive fear of looking foolish uh, so they don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. um, many people just don't believe in their own value or that they can really make a difference. Another thing that's really come up a lot for me working with people in Asia in particular is culturally right. people see it as if they do this, their family, their friends, their community will think that they're arrogant. And that's something that they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be seen to be arrogant. And I always say we have to remember where all this social media stuff came from. It came from the American culture, right, where everyone's sort of high fives and woo and they, you know, everyone's a little bit more (laughs) excited over there, right? But the rest of the world's not quite Mm -hmm. like that. If you you go into the mindset of being a social leader from a mindset of delivering service to your audience, it's very much a service mindset that you're, you're doing it to help other people. You're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it. You benefit, obviously, yourself if you do it well, but that's not, Mm -hmm. it should never be about you. The outcome the positive outcomes that are going to get you the career opportunities and the new jobs and all that sort of stuff, they're a positive outcome of you doing an excellent job and you do an excellent job by being of service, by being very empathetic, by paying attention, to being on pulse, on the pulse of 
what's going on in the world or what's going on in your business or your industry. Yeah, I completely resonate with what you mentioned about Asian culture because when I was a young girl, I'd been educated in Vancouver. So my primary education was a Canadian education and they encouraged kids at that time to yeah. speak up. So practically every week we had to prepare a show and tell about any kind of topic that we were interested in. So that, of course, gave me the skill and the courage to go up and speak up about what I wanted or what my opinion yeah. was. But of course, moving back to Asia, my experience was very different. Coming back to Asia, even though I had an opinion about certain things, it is seen as fighting against the people in authority or challenging the teacher because I'm not supposed to speak up. The teacher is right. So there's all these environmental cues coming into an Asian culture that I'm not supposed to stand yeah. out. And speaking up means standing out, even though it's something that I agree to what they say, but it's because I am considered low in the hierarchy, I should remain yeah. silent. It was a struggle that I had to deal with growing up. And thankfully, in the professional world, speaking up is seen as a value because when you do speak up, people or at least in the professional realm, there are different perspectives that get to be aired out. And when there are different perspectives, then we can find multiple ways of solving a problem or overcoming a challenge. And that's when speaking up became you know, more helpful yeah. for me than when I was growing up in the education Absolutely. system. I first moved to Singapore in 2003 and I left in 2017. Yeah, it's 2019, right? Mm. So I spent a really long time there and yeah. uh, long enough to see different generations coming through. And I have a lot of hope right. in Asia for the for mm -hmm. the younger generation, you know, people in their 20s and their 30s. They're a very, very, very different breed to the generations that came before them. They're much more vocal. They're much right. more willing to criticise. And, and while there's a sensitivity because you don't want to go too far, right, and you shouldn't want to go too far, if you want to create change, the best place way to create change is to do it in a positive way you know w words of love yeah. versus words of hate right so you can express all the anger you mm -hmm. want but you're just gonna people are just gonna close the doors so if you want to create change you've got to do it in a really positive way so the region right. is changing and, and the other thing that I spend a lot of time on is we've got to break down the silos and the hierarchies and, and I totally understand the hierarchies in Asia Australians have no respect for silos and hierarchies it's just it's not part of our culture but then even in business, they still exist. But there is no place for that anymore. It doesn't serve your audience. It doesn't serve the customer or these business divisions within. Like the customer's yeah. looking for a, a total solution. They're not, they don't really care how you split yourself up. But mm -hmm. the empowerment of the employees to go out there and own their voice is a really, really powerful way to tackle the challenge of answer the question of how do we break down the silos and the hierarchy? You empower your people to own their voice. How do you empower people to own their voice? Because some leaders, they have the belief that, okay, my employees are my ambassadors of the company. So you can just hashtag any cool activity we have in our company. Is no. that enough or shall... Do they need to do more than just say, oh, go ahead and hashtag absolutely. my company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, I can't tell you how many times... I've turned up into a training room to talk to employees and I ask them about what they're most sceptical about. And the smartest people in the room will always say to me, I will never go on social media and talk about this company because I will look like a sycophant. And I'm like, yes, you will look like a sycophant. And uh, and you see it all like, you see it all over the world. People are just, all they do is talk about their company. Isn't my company great? Look at my company. We've released this product. Come to our event. And it's boring. It's boring. Yeah. 
but it doesn't give the person who's doing it any credibility at all. It makes them look foolish and it makes the brand look bad. So my message mm-hmm. to them is always empower your people to define what they want to be known for, help them go out there and be leaders in their own right, social leaders. They can own their voice, any topic, any topic at all. And then off the back of that, they occasionally can share the company information, but they've got the credibility of an audience already that says, I don't mind you sharing company information because I can see that you work for this company and that's great. And I'm happy to read this information because I know that you wouldn't be sharing it unless you thought it was valuable to share because you've already earned my trust. You're a person of integrity that only shares value. So it's about helping the, the employees understand how to do that and then the company benefit. One of the executives just mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, he published his fantastic blog about he works to spend time with his children and the outpouring of support on that blog was incredible. But the people who write those sort of blogs, mm-hmm. those really vulnerable blogs, because vulnerability is so powerful, customers yeah. want to meet them. When they ring them up mm-hmm. and they want to meet the person who wrote that blog, when they come into a new business meeting, one of the first topics of conversation that will be brought up by the customer or the prospect is the blog that they wrote and how powerful it was and how it touched them. So it's incredibly, it opens so many different doors. One of the best bits of feedback that I'm, I'm seeing coming through in the current research is empowering people to be social leaders not only helps them to believe in the company mm-hmm. that they work for, but it also helps them with their own self-confidence. And they feel more secure right. in their future. They feel they're on track. They're getting job promotions. You know, so the benefits are, are, are really massive. It sounds like speaking up, it's not just about talking about the company that you worked for, but it's being proud and being confident of the kind of person yeah. you've become and sharing that with the rest yeah. of the world. And also showing your vulnerability, showing your authenticity, and just be brave and courageous to share what it is that matters to you as, as a human being on social media Absolutely. in the digital world. Yeah, um, you know, everyone's talking about the future of work and I'm kind of thinking around this new line of like, what does the future of the human at work look like? You know, people say, oh, you can bring your whole self to work. What does that really mean? You know, you look at the top skills of the future, they're all soft skills and it's things like emotional intelligence, creativity, critical thinking skills, people who can ask the right questions of data to get insights, you know, and you need intelligence to be able to do that and you need empathy. You need to be able to understand the world. You need to understand what motivates people. What happens when people choose not to be engaged online to share who they are? Because there is that 10% of people who just don't really care. And there's that percentage of people that are in the middle who who do want to show themselves up on social media, but maybe are too afraid. So what happens if they choose not to? Well, I think, I think ultimately we're going to get to a time in history where it's going to really have a serious impact on people's careers and their opportunities. Mm-hmm. Automation is going to take a lot of jobs away. So if you're not participating, if you're not building your profile, are you going to be able to secure a job in the future? We look at the gig economy, you know, up to sort of 70% of the workforce won't be employed by companies anymore. They'll be freelancers, you know, and people like me, I live in Phuket now, you know, so we came here so our boys could go to school. But my husband and I, we both work from Phuket and we travel around the world when we have to. And the future is going to be a very different place. And I think having a strong, powerful digital voice is going to be a really critical component in having an opportunity in that future. So I think everyone's got to start to really deeply understand what does the future look like? You look at people in these industries mm-hmm. that are disappearing, the factory workers, you know, fast food workers apparently is going to be one of the disappearing industries, which I was surprised to see. But 
what does automation mean? And if you look in your own industry or in your own career, what does it mean to you? Like, you know, in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time, even in five years' time, you know, some of this is happening very quickly. There was a big announcement eight, eight months ago, 12 months ago, one of the banks in Australia was laying off like thousands of employees, but they were hiring thousands with digital skills. But they didn't train the employees that they were laying off. They were looking at a whole new generation of, of people and they had different skills to the ones that they were laying off. So we've got to wake up. I mean, the Industrial Revolution took three generations. This one's not going to take one generation, right? So we've got to wake up. We've got to look. We've got to understand it. We've got to understand its impact on ourselves. And then we're going to say, what is my role in the future and how do I create a job for myself? So say we have one of our podcast listeners who is on the verge of, yes, I'm ready to speak up, but I don't really know how to do it. I don't have the confidence. I'm not as courageous, but I know what I value. I know what things matter to me in my life. What kind of first steps would you advise this person or this listener? Well, I think the first thing that everyone has to always remember is that the only way you can become courageous is to be courageous. So keep taking steps, right? Mm -hmm. You get courageous. You know, as a young teenager, I started arguing back with my elders and that, that was the beginning of me getting courage in my own opinions, right? So take the mm-hmm. step. So the first thing is, what do you want to be known for? Then go out there and have a look at what's being done in that field, you know, whatever the hashtag is that's aligned to it. Go and do a search. Go and see what are other people sharing? What are they saying? Who do I like? What do I think of their opinions? Can I talk to those people? Should I engage in a conversation? The first best place to start is to talk to other people. So if someone's writing a great blog that you really like, comment on it, talk to them, follow them, and then slowly, slowly, you know, build it up, start sharing really awesome information. You know, if you're one of those people that once a week watches an amazing TED Talk that sort of changes your life and you love it, but you've never taken the active step to actually share it digitally, take that active step, share it and say, Hey guys, I've just watched this TED talk. It's brilliant. I think it's going to, it's going to add this, this and this to my life. I thought you guys might enjoy it too. You know, so just taking those steps, working it out, because you can't really understand it until you get into it. So find your place. So it's focus and then start sharing other people's content. And then if you get there, if you're ready, if you want to do it, start creating your own content, whether it's video, podcasting, writing blogs. You know, I'm very comfortable with writing blogs. I'm not so comfortable on video side. It's not my thing, but I've got to get over that, right? Yeah, because I've got to be <laughs> courageous, right? And Yeah, yeah be and courageous. And, it might scare you a lot and that's okay. It's all right to be scared, but do it anyway. Yeah. What it sounds like, because I was from the generation where we had dial-up internet uh, connection yeah. and when we first had email and there's no social media. If we find something really interesting, we would send it via yeah. email. So we get all these email forwards and spams from friends. So what you're saying, it's like the modern version of yeah. the email forwards from back then. So it's... Like you find something you really like, you share it to your network or whoever that follows you. And this in itself, whatever you share, brands the kind of yeah, person absolutely. you are, right? Shows the kind yeah, of... And, and, yeah, and be focused, you know. So if you can have a theme that you can really focus on, like I, I know that um, you also talk a lot about podcasting and, and you run workshops on podcasting, right? So, you know, that's a real topic yeah. for you, right, that you can really share with passion and, and you're living and breathing it which makes you teaching it so mm-hmm. much more valuable. And then there's another, the other dimension is just when you see a really great article that you think is really useful, get it out there to your audience. And it's just taking the step digitally. I always say mm-hmm. work out, 
sort of really come to terms with who you are in the physical world, what that magic that you've got within you, and then amplify that magic into the digital world. So it's just it's just taking a step. It's just communication. It's just communicating on a bigger level. And if something touches your heart or makes you cry, makes you think, makes you inspired, isn't it worth giving that as a gift to your community? I mean, I remember pre-email times, right? I remember when I first turned mm-hmm. up in London, I used to fax a friend of mine in Sydney because there was no email, right? So we used to fax jokes to each other and, and funny stuff. I remember doing that too, yeah. the fax machine. I'd be so happy to see the sound of the fax printing out the glossy paper and then you see like a smiley face or some doodle. Yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are times where, you know, when I share stuff, there's no comments, yeah, no likes. And a part of me feels like, you know what, am I sharing the right thing? Is the messaging clear? You know, I mean, how do I go about that to engage a conversation that, rather than just sharing information? And that is such a great question for this region. People are really self-conscious even to participate they won't even comment on something that they like. You'll publish something and you'll see it, it's had a thousand reads and you'll get one comment and you're like, so did those thousand people not like it? And then eventually you sort of, you start doing it long enough and you'll run into people and they said, oh, I read your blog and blah, 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 I really liked it. And I'm like, well, if you liked it, why didn't you um, comment on it? And they're like, oh, do you want me to do that? And people just don't really understand that they've got a role to play and that's not... It's taking a long time for that to change. So I've worked with loads of people who are doing some really awesome and inspiring work like Stephanie Dixon of Green is the New Black, really driving great environmental change. But when she was starting out, she just wasn't getting that participation. It was really starting to upset her. And I said, mate, outside of America, that's what the rest of the world is like. We're not understanding that we have a role to play. Like I always say on LinkedIn, if you do nothing else, comment on someone's someone else's content because every time if I get like five people commenting on a blog, Everybody else who sees that, they say, well, that blog's obviously worth my time because people have enjoyed it, they're invested in it. So engaging in the conversation, helping other, helping your community succeed, and all you have to do is talk to them. All you have to do is like what they're doing, but don't just like. I always call it being a lazy liker. If you like something, tell people why you like it. So it's not only just us sharing knowledge about ourselves and the things that we stand for, but it's also really doing our part to comment on other people who hold the same values, who believe in the same things too. And that in itself, it's a way to start conversations. um, I I call it the giving economy. I I tell everyone, spend as much time helping other people succeed as you do putting your own information out there. If you can support other people, what they're doing, people that you really believe in and help them be successful, you're not only giving them a great gift, you're helping yourself as well because Mm -hmm. They return the favour when it's your turn. So we're building tribes today. We're building communities. And, and you know, so many people, especially in, in, in Asia Pacific, we're not good at helping other people be successful. We're good at p- ripping people down because, you know, you know. but right. oh, I, I don't like that. You know, I grew up in Australia with the tall poppy syndrome. I don't like that mentality. You know, let's support each other. Let's champion yeah. each other and be part of the giving economy and really do everything you can to help anyone that you admire be successful. You know, if you're, one of your friends is publishing a blog, it means the world that you comment on it. It might not feel like it and you might be self-conscious about it, but I, I sit with people when they get their yeah. first comment. I'm talking C-level executives. They're so excited. You know, oh, people liked it. People really? are talking to me about it. They're like children, right? They get really, they really, they really love it. Uh, you mentioned something about vulnerability. For an individual it's something that is very difficult for them to speak about because when you're vulnerable, there's also the fear behind it that you'll be attacked, you'll be criticized, you'll be punished, you'll be ostracized for speaking up your vulnerability. 
is it always the case that we have to speak up about our vulnerabilities to get the same kind of power and impact or or when I mean, or we don't speak I think about everyone's it? or when do we speak well, about most it? people have watched the brown ted talk on vulnerability right and we all know ourselves how we respond to a vulnerable message whether it's from someone who's incredibly famous or somebody in our own community or that blog that I was talking about from that IBM executive earlier this year but you know I've met people who are just like I don't want to do that and I'm like then don't do what you want to do be who you want to be no one should be forced to do anything that they're not willing to do and if they just want to sort of be quite sort of technical in their approach and they want to share technical knowledge and they want to help their customers in that way, then go for it, right? There's an audience for that. But if you want to build something quite different that's quite bonding, um, it's quite deep, the connection that you'll build with your audience, like, you know, sometimes I'll turn up in an event and somebody who I've met before has been reading my blogs and the vulnerability of, of my blogs sort of has already created an emotional connection with this person before I've ever met them, right? And um, it's very powerful. I was defending a blog that was published around the Me Too era when that first sort of hit. And these people, anonymous, of course, were attacking me. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Like, if you actually read what I said, there's no harm in what I'm saying because my message is around Me Too that mm-hmm. men and women all need to step up and we need to lift humanity to a higher level of consciousness and we need to do it together and it's not an us and an them and I'm the greatest fan of men mm-hmm. you know there's very few men in my life that I, I would even remotely consider being in the like the toxic masculinity sort of era that we've been started off 2019 with right men are awesome but there's a small percentage yeah. of men that aren't and there's a small small percentage of women that aren't but generally I think we're all, we're all pretty good and let's yeah. Let's all come together and let's be better. You know, equality and diversity is good for everybody. It's good for business. It brings up GDPs of countries. Like We have to play our part too. It's like the small things you've mentioned earlier about how we comment on other people's blogs or other people's sharing because to show that we support them, we give them yeah. our attention. And likewise, they too can shine in the world as, as well. So it's where we put our attention to, where we give our support, yeah, where we give our comments. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned a few things because it sounds like you're an advocate for so many things, (laughs) (laughs) but environmentalism, climate change, gender equality. Is there anything else that, you know, as a society, we should be focused on now from your point of view, especially since you trawl social media all the time, you you read through all different issues and, and the things that are going on in the world now. What issue you believe requires more people to speak up about now? I think... I think the number one issue, so, yeah, I'm a very passionate person, as you can probably pick up, but equally um, <laughs> my passion is for people and I just, all I ever hope is to see that everyone is the best version of themselves, right, and, you know, that's what a higher level of human consciousness is. You know, mm-hmm. we don't operate from a place of anger, we operate from a place of love, right? We just, let's just put love out in the world, let's put kindness out in the world. Why not? You know, we, all the barriers and the divisions amongst people, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I hear anti-whatever religion, colour, rhetoric, and I'm like, everyone just wants to go home and feed their family and make sure the kids can go to school. And our needs are all the same wherever we are in the world. And, you know, it's like we keep repeating history. And if there's one thing I would love to see that just gets out of this world, it's fear. And we've yeah. got so much fear in the world at the moment. We've got, we're living in the politics of fear. We've got the media of fear. You know, fear sells. You know, it sells 
advertising, it sells clicks. It, and you look at any decision that you make yourself, if you make it from a place of fear, it's usually going to be the wrong decision, right? So that's mine, probably my crusade. It's like when I hear people talking from a place of fear, and then, of course, the other side of fear is ignorance, right? And sometimes you'll talk to people and they're so they're so firm in this idea that they've got and you listen to them and then they're not factually correct, right? So one of the things that I read a lot is history and religion as a combination, right? So I, I read a lot about it. So when people talk to me about it and they argue a point of history with me that I'm fully aware of, and often they will argue a point of history that they learnt when they were 15 in high school, right? But it's 20, it's 20, 30, 40 years since high school and history always changes. If you actually keep up to date with history, it's always changing, you know, and it can be we'll hear about a patriarchal society in the middle, in you know, Central America, and then there'll be all this history and no females in power, and then they find a female mummy that completely mm-hmm. disproves that. They have to go back and completely rewrite the history of that time. Definitely. There's just so much I've learned from you today, Andrea, from today's conversation, there's so much power in speaking up, in voicing out the things that matter to you. Yeah. Do you have any parting advice for our listeners? I think, um, look, I know it's hard and I know a lot of people really struggle with it and, and I really understand, but this is the opportunity of our time, right? The information cycle has been owned by the powers, the politicians, governments, the media, religious leaders, even the celebrities sort of more, more recently. They've owned it. It's been information distribution has been very much top down. It's been very much controlled. And that's all changed. And this is the massive opportunity that's come with social media. So, yes, I know it's scary, but it's an opportunity to really embrace your voice, stand for something, stop looking for all these shortcuts. There is no shortcuts to success, right? So get stuck in, mm-hmm. turn up. And if you have a powerful wife or while you're doing things, you're going to turn up anyway because you're not doing it for clicks and likes and followers. You're doing it because you really want to drive a change. And when you want to drive a change, it can take longer, but it's more powerful when you get there. If you disagree with somebody, uh, that's fine, but do it in a nice way or take it offline. Like I, um, I saw one of the ladies that I really admire, I love the work that she's doing, and two of the comments below were women commenting on her looks. One of them criticised her lipstick colour. And this is in public, right? I'm like, that is oh – I'm like, goodness. and I dropped her a note and I said, mate, I'm so – disgusted by that she goes don't worry it happens all the time I said yeah I know trust me anyway so that's not classy and remember that when you're building a world-class social leadership presence it's not about you it's about serving an audience so work out who that audience is what is the change that you're trying to drive and then be part of the global community that's going to be driving that together because none of us can do it alone right so find your community build your community support other people that you value and just you know just be a decent human being out there because that's basically all it requires. Yep, that's what we need in the world today. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Well, I'll tell you a secret. I'm pretty what? easy to find on social media. Uh, <laughs> so my professional handle is Andrea T. Edwards. So that's on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And then I've got more of my personal stuff going on, like on Instagram, another Facebook page. So, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. You won't find me on Snapchat. I couldn't stand Snapchat. It didn't suit me. My my. 11 and 12-year-olds love it, but I, yeah, not me. Yep. Yeah, and I suppose the final thing is have fun. It's fun. It's brilliant. You know, this is where the world comes to laugh, cry, grieve, celebrate, you know, and I'm there because I love it. You know, there's a lot that's hard about it. Like it can be draining. There's a lot of negativity. It sort of wears me out. But the reality is I really do love it. Let's all come together and have a good time and make the world a better place and make sure we don't hit jump climate genocide and you know <laughs> get ready for the future of work 
<laughs> you know, since I've spoken to you, I've been sharing with uh, my friends that we only have like 10 to 12 years to live on this world if we don't do anything about climate yeah. change. So <laughs> what you're saying about speaking up really helps it matters. me. It helps. It, it matters, it does. So it influenced me because I'm speaking up about that with my friends as well. And hopefully they will start speaking up about climate change to their Oh, friends. you know what? And and we so. really need people in Asia to own this conversation because, you know, Kishu Mabani, who I was talking about before, I think is one of the most inspirational people in the world. And in 2013, I read a quote. At the time, there were 500 middle-class people living in Asia. So obviously with um, China and India as a population, that's it's a big population, right? And he said right. by, by 2020, there'll be 1.75 billion or something like that, right? So mm-hmm. the biggest middle class is, is in this region. And when people have got money, they want to shop, they want to buy, they want to consume, they want to fly, right? So mm-hmm. what the consumer culture that was created by Western society can't continue with this growth that's happening, this amazing growth that's happening in Asia, right? So we actually yeah. need Asia to lead the way to a new world and a new way of consumption so that people can still feel that they're being rewarded for the fact that they can enjoy a better lifestyle, but they mm-hmm. can't enjoy a better lifestyle based on the lifestyle that's been sort of on offer for the rest of the world for the last 50 years because we can't, we can't cope with that. Environmentally, we can't cope with that. And it's a big part of the problem. So I hope that everyone in Asia really steps up to the climate challenge because we really, we need it. And I think the tipping point has definitely been hit of people are still sceptical, don't get me wrong, but I think the tipping point of uh, past scepticism has now happened. So please, if you're in Asia and you really care about the environment, be a voice for it. We really need you to come out there and help us change what's going on. Definitely. I enjoy so much our conversation today. Thank you for making the time to speak with me on the Leaders of Learning podcast, Andrea. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much for inviting me. I hope it's I hope it's useful for everyone. That was Andrea Edwards, a global award-winning B2B communications professional, blogger, writer, trainer, and coach for businesses and professionals around the world. Highlights of this episode and contact details of our guest is available on our website at www.culturespark.co slash podcasts. That is www.culturespark.co slash podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever you download your podcast. If you believe the show will help a family or a friend, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. This is the last episode of Season 2 of the Leaders of Learning podcast. I would like to take this moment to give a shout out to the team that made Season 2 possible. Season 2 would not have been a success if it wasn't for our sound engineer, Dave Vizaya. Thank you for making me and our guest sound fantastic. I'd also like to thank our copywriter and editor, Gayatri Arjunan, for accurately capturing the highlights of every episode. Well done, everyone. We'll take a short break before returning for more episodes in Season 3. This is your host, Ling Ling. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast. listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, 
or wherever you download your podcast. If you believe this podcast show will help a friend or family, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast. Thank you.